Hey you, welcome back to Couch Detectives. As always, thank you for being here. I hope you never get tired of hearing that because I will never get tired of saying it. Seriously, you are appreciated. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome to the family. I hope you enjoy this episode and it will encourage you to stick around and subscribe on whatever platform you listen on. Also, be sure to follow Couch Detectives Podcast on Instagram for updates and visuals at Couch Detectives Podcast. Now let's jump right into it. Today's case was actually a listener suggestion. So thank you to Samira Faze for suggesting this. I have also seen some of your other suggestions and I will get around to them. Promise. Now this case is the most recent one that I have ever done. It occurred just earlier this year. For today's case, we are taking a trip across the globe. We are going to the UK. London, England, this week, I am in your backyard as I bring you this traumatic case of an unnecessary tragedy. This is the case of Sarah Everard. In March of this year, we have 33-year-old Sarah Everard. Sarah was born in Surrey, England, which is just about an hour outside of London, but she grew up in York, England, which is a few hours north of London. She studied human geography at the third oldest university in England, Durham University, and graduated in 2008, then later moved to Brixton Hill in South London and worked as a marketing executive for a digital media agency. Her friends and family described her as kind, thoughtful, caring, and dependable, traits I know we all wish to have in a loved one. Sarah had a bubbly personality and enjoyed making people around her laugh. Every single person in her life would describe her as a strong-willed, loving individual. And she was just about to start a new position as a senior marketing account manager that she was super excited about. On Wednesday, March 3rd, Sarah decided that she was going to go and spend some time with a friend. This friend lived in the nearby neighborhood of Clapham, which is about a 30 to 50 minute walk from Brixton Hill where Sarah lived, depending on which part you're traveling from and to. Before she traveled to her friend's home that evening, she decided to stop and get a bottle of wine because what's a friend link up without wine, right? She purchases her bottle of wine at a corner market near her neighborhood and then makes her way to her friend's house. Now, there is no timestamp on any of the CCTV footage at the store, so you can't really tell what time it is when she purchases the wine, but it is dark outside. She purchases her bottle and proceeds to her friend's house. She stays at her friend's house for a while, and we do know that by the time she left her friend's house, it was 9 p.m. She started her journey back home. While on her walk home, she calls her boyfriend, Josh, and she talks to him for about 15 minutes. During this conversation, they made plans to meet up the next day. 
Josh and Sarah had been dating for a while and they were quite fond of each other. Josh's family knew Sarah quite well and they thought she was a lovely girl. Josh did pretty well for himself as well. He was also a marketing director from Brixton and he actually only lived a few streets away from Sarah. It is reported that they had a happy and healthy relationship. As they ended their call, he asked Sarah to let him know when she made it home. Unfortunately, that notice would never come. It is important to note here that though most of the world seems to have opened back up with little to no restrictions during March of 2021, London still had several COVID guidelines in place at this time, and a lockdown was one of them. There were limits on walking the streets after a certain time and even visiting friends. So during Sarah's walk home, the streets were relatively quiet. She enjoyed walking outdoors though, so she didn't phone a taxi because I'm sure she didn't feel there was a reason to. Attempting to ensure her safety, she walked in well-lit areas and made sure to stay where she could easily be seen. It gets late, And her boyfriend, Josh, never receives the call that she made it home after they talked. And the friend she was visiting also never received notice. I assume that they didn't think too much of it at the time because nothing really came of it. However, on the wake up the next day, March 4th, Josh still hadn't heard from Sarah and he was growing concerned. So... He called the police to report her missing. The police takes the report and begin looking into her disappearance immediately, trying to trace her last steps and figure out where she could have gone between the time she hung up with her boyfriend and the time she was supposed to walk into her home. The next day, March 5th, Sarah's case is escalated and the specialist crime unit becomes involved. They are looking heavily into her case and searching homes and alleys of the area that she was reported to have been in. They are coming up short and empty-handed and solicits the public's help in finding Sarah. Now, they began their investigation relatively fast, which is a great thing. On March 6th, the Metropolitan Police reports that they are growing increasingly concerned about Sarah's disappearance as her family states that this is completely out of character. She would not just up and leave. She had a client meeting the next day, a meetup with her boyfriend, and she was on the verge of a new job. She wouldn't leave all that behind. So they are surely thinking that she has been met with foul play. Search parties for Sarah are sent out, A missing person poster was made and they are posted all over London. They are doing everything in their power to locate Sarah and are hopeful that they will find her alive and well. On March 7th, four days after Sarah was last heard from, there is footage released from a private door camera that shows Sarah walking on Pointers Road towards Toss Hill, which is just south of where Sarah lived. And it gives them a general vicinity of the last area she was seen in. March 8th, the Metropolitan Police reports that they are pretty hopeful and are keeping an open mind when it comes to finding Sarah. 
Josh, her boyfriend, has changed his Facebook profile picture to a Find Sarah Everard poster. And by this time, they have received over 120 calls with tips and they've searched about 750 homes looking for Sarah. They recover CCTV footage from different cars passing by and they are getting closer to being able to locate Sarah. And some CCTV footage from a bus passing by the area, it catches Sarah in the same area that the previous private home footage caught her in. She was on Poindas Court, which is about a mile from her home. The bus footage is at 9.35 p.m., about five minutes after she hung up with her boyfriend. She is caught briefly speaking with a male standing near a white vehicle with the doors open. The footage was clear enough that the officers were able to read the license plate. Thank God for CCTV footage. They tracked the license plate and realized that it was a hired car. For my people in America, it was a rental. The car belonged to a Wayne Cousins. But who is he? Well, he's a police officer for the Metropolitan Police. The same police officers that are investigating her disappearance. But he was off duty cruising the streets of London, and he lived in Kent, England, which is about an hour and six-minute drive from London. So, what was he doing in London at the time? Apparently, placing Sarah Everard under arrest for breaching COVID protocol. According to an eyewitness, as they were passing by, they saw Sarah Everard in handcuffs. They did not see her being placed in the officer's car, but they did see her in handcuffs, which one would assume that she was being placed under arrest. Now, being that there are COVID guidelines in place, this is not the oddest thing in the world. A bypasser might see this and assume, okay, maybe she was breaking the law. Sarah herself might also be under the impression that she was in violation of COVID protocol. After all, he was an officer, though in plain clothes and a regular car, he had an officer ID. He showed it to her and placed her under arrest and put her in the back of his car. The rental car, not a marked police car. Now that officers have identified who this car belongs to or has been rented to, they want to speak with their fellow officer. They want to know what he has to say about his encounter with Sarah, as it now seems that he was the last one to see her before her disappearance. On March 9th, police traveled to the home of their colleague to find out what information he can provide them about Sarah and her disappearance. Initially, he denied ever seeing or having an encounter with Sarah. But at about 7.50 p.m., he was arrested for suspicion of kidnap and Sarah's disappearance. Here is a little bit of what he had to say during his arrest interview. It's from a police body camera, so it's a little distorted, but I will clear up what it says. Sarah went missing um, on Wednesday. And her parents obviously and her family are really worried about her now. 
the inquiry that's been conducted so far has led us to come and speak to you about it and to see what we what we know about Sarah, okay? So would you like to do you know where Sarah is? No. Right. Okay. Do you know anything about what happened tonight? I know that um she went missing up in um, London somewhere. Um what about a week ago or so? Uh, just from what I've got on the news. Okay. Have you ever personally met her? No, not personally met her. You had any interactions with her at all? No, uh, why what, what, what would I have personal interactions with her? In the beginning, he starts off by saying he doesn't know her, he's never had an encounter with her, and he has nothing to do with her disappearance. But the police go on and let him know that her family is concerned and they just want to know where she is and what happened to her. He then changes his story and says this. Okay, um, well, I am in financial um, and I've been um, lent on by, um, I don't know who they are, they're a group, a gang, whatever, um, and they told me why I need to go and pick up girls and get them to them. So, um, I said, what's happening? Um, and it then came through that they're going to harm my family, take them away, and they'll use them instead. Um, at that point, I had no option to try and find somebody. So, I don't... Um, there's just a couple of names I was told a place to um, take her. That's it. That's all, that is all I know. He says he was having some financial troubles and got involved with sex traffickers or a prostitution gang and he had done something wrong. He said he pretty much ripped off one of their call girls and needed to get them a new girl. He first stated that he wouldn't do that. Then they said they would go after his family. So he said, okay. They told him where to pick up the girl and where to take her. He did that. And then he said he met up with them. He parked his car and then the gang jumped out and took Sarah. He even offered to take the officers to the area where he met the gang. When the officers asked him, well, how do you get in contact with them so they could possibly trace the number and track this gang down? He says they don't use the phone. They just tell him to be here or be there by following him around. Like they'll just pop up outside or wherever he is because they're following him. He sounds off his rockers, but police have to look into it. And while he's in custody, they do. The next day, March 10th, there were human remains found in a wooded area in Kent, the area that Officer Wayne Cousins lived in. During this time, he was in custody and officers were trying to get any information that they could regarding Sarah's disappearance. They wanted more details of the alleged gang. They wanted to know what he knew. He was sticking to his story. On the next day, Officer Cousins actually had to go to the hospital for an injury to the head that occurred while he was in police custody. 
And on the afternoon of Friday, March 12th, nine days after she was last seen, it was discovered that the remains did indeed belong to Sarah Everard. And Wayne Cousins, who was still in custody, was charged with murder. After he was charged, he was treated again for another head injury sustained while in custody. Now, let me give y'all a little background information on Wayne from his previous life up to the day of Sarah's disappearance and the days after. So in 2002, he joined the Kent Special Constabulary as a part-time volunteer for the police force. So it's a volunteer police, like a rent a cop. In 2011, he joins a civil nuclear constabulary, which is also known as the CNC, which is a special police force that deals with security and transit of nuclear material, which would typically cause for some heavy vetting. In 2015, there was an alleged indecent exposure accusation brought up against him, but there was no investigation into it. In February of 2018, he transfers to the Metropolitan Police Service in London, which is where he was working during the time of Sarah's disappearance, even though he was off duty. In February of 2020, he then moves to a Diplomatic Protection Command unit to patrol diplomatic premises. And then, in February of this year, a little less than a month before Sarah's disappearance, he is linked to two more allegations of indecent exposure, which the Metropolitan Police allegedly failed to investigate. So, we have what seems to be a highly decorated officer with experience in law enforcement and experience with consistently exposing himself and getting away with it. After investigating his gang story and finding out it was all a lie and charging Wayne with murder, he lets the police know he did indeed act alone. Now let's look at the days leading up to Sarah's disappearance and his actions after. It's alleged that Officer Wayne Cousins spent at least a month traveling to London to research how to best carry out this crime. Clearly premeditated. On February 10th, he buys a police standard issue handcuff key to detain his victim, which I'm not sure why he just wouldn't use his own. On February 28th, he buys self-adhesive carpet protector film and some other items and books the car rental. On March 3rd, the day of Sarah's disappearance, he picks up the rental at about 3.45 p.m. and makes his way to London from Kent to start his hunt. As he's cruising the streets while in London, somewhere he literally has no reason to be, this is when he runs across Sarah walking and he decides here is his victim. He falsely places her under arrest for violating COVID protocol at 9.38 p.m. and puts her in the back of his rental car. 
Sarah wouldn't have gotten in the car willingly. The only way that she would have gotten in was under the pretense that she was being arrested. Now they are driving and driving and there's a gap between the time that he drove off and the next time we know what actually occurred. We don't know what has been said during the time, but we do know that there's a long drive to where he's about to take her. I'm sure at this point, Sarah is probably terrified because they have likely passed police stations and he's not stopped. It is reported that cells fill up fast in London, so it's not uncommon for an officer to go to another station. But after driving for so long and not stopping, Sarah has probably realized by now that she is in grave danger. I cannot imagine the fear she's experiencing, the horrific thoughts that are going through her mind and how helpless she must feel. Two hours later, at 11.38 p.m., we know that Officer Cousins transferred Sarah to his own car in Dover, which is near Kent where he lives, and drives towards a secluded rural area where he then proceeds to rape and murder her. He then goes on about his life like nothing happened, stopping at a gas station at about 2.30 a.m. to purchase drinks. Then at 3.21 a.m., his car is caught on CCTV footage driving to the area where he dumped her body. He then returned the rental car at 8.30 a.m. on March 4th, the same day Sarah's boyfriend reported her missing. On March 5th, he purchases gas and burns Sarah's body and possessions inside a fridge. He then transfers the remains to a nearby pond in two green rubble bags. This is all while everyone is out searching for her. He is carrying out this horrendous act. Over the next couple of days while people are searching, he's supposed to be off work for stress. He calls his supervisor and informs them that he no longer wants to carry a firearm. And on March 7th, four days after he abducted, raped, and killed Sarah, he decides to take his kids and wife on a family trip to the woods where he burned and disposed of her body. Y'all, this is a sick individual. He pre-planned this, hunted her, and killed her. He admitted all of this to police. On July 9th, 2021, he pled guilty to Sarah's murder, and on September 30th, he was sentenced to life in prison without parole. Now, during the time after his arrest, there were so many protests across London about women's safety, especially when it comes to law enforcement. A police commissioner, Philip Allick, came out and said, women, first of all, need to be streetwise about when they can be arrested and when they can't be arrested. She should never have been arrested and submitted to that. Perhaps women need to consider in terms of the legal process to just learn a bit about that legal process. Not that officers of the law should not abuse the law, but women should be more aware and streetwise. This 
clearly caused an uproar in London. And though he apologized, it didn't do much to ease the frustration from the fact that one of their own committed this heinous act. This man had allegations brought against him and none of them were looked into. Perhaps if they had been, this might have been avoided. And I say might because he is not the only one like him with authority. Women in the UK have been complaining about not feeling safe and being constantly harassed for ages. I know that in America, we deal with police brutality on another level. It is constantly black unarmed men being targeted simply for being black. And it's a constant abuse of power. And it's crazy to see how that reverberates all across the globe. People who are put in positions to serve and protect consistently doing anything but. Wayne Cousins didn't have any convictions as an officer, but God knows he had hella complaints against him. And as someone whose job it is to ensure the safety of others, their department failed. They didn't do the vetting that they should have done when it came to him. And they didn't do a good job investigating the accusations against him. He was released as an officer and the other officers did say that it was a stain on police. They say they don't see him as a police officer, but as a murderer who just happens to be a police officer, not the other way around. The thing is, though, why did it take murder for them to see him in this light? Why not from the previous accusations of indecent exposure against him? It's so unfortunate that Sarah had to come in contact with such a monster and her life was taken away for no reason at all. I know it's not all of them, but it's enough to be way too many for the job that they are hired to do. After her murder, there was a screenshot of a text going around that said, text me when you get home, XX, as a way for friends and family to ensure the safety of their loved ones. And this is a text that I use and I absolutely mean it when I use it. When I send this, yes, it's for the safety of my loved one, but also to reassure me that you are safe and sound. Unfortunately, Sarah Everard was not able to provide her family with that reassurance because her life was cut short by a terrible human. She was young, bright, and had her whole future ahead of her. She didn't deserve this. So today, with the rest of London, let's remember Sarah and pray that peace will one day find its way to her family and loved ones. Until next time, Couch Detectives, keep an eye out on your backyard.